Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Thank you, JJ. I also want to thank all my listeners from 120, actually more than 120 countries now around this globe. I am so glad that the message of never giving up hope is being heard around the world. And that's what this show is all about. Never, ever give up hope. And every guest that comes on my show has a story that of where they went through a situation where they felt hopeless or fearful or any number of emotions that wanted to steal and rob their life away from them. But there was a major turnaround. And as a result, they have become successful in so many different arenas that they have chosen, whether it be as an author or a speaker or in business. And it's exciting to hear their stories. And so it brings hope. Because often we can relate, if not on one level, then on another. And so I thank each of my guests and what they have shared with my listeners around the world. And listeners, I thank you. Because without you, we wouldn't have a show. And I thank you for listening, for sharing the show, for passing it on, and for contributing with your comments and sharing across social media. Thank you so much. With me today, I have Lisa Gray. Lisa is a licensed mental health counselor, a minister, an author, and a speaker. She travels extensively speaking at women's conferences, jails, and seminars to bring awareness to the complex and emotional topic of sexual abuse. The name of her book is They Don't Tell, Child Abuse, A Mother's Perspective. Now this book is a little bit different because it's it's not written by the person who was abused, but by the mother. And this is a powerful book for mothers who have to deal with this type of pain or this hurt, the shame, the guilt, all the emotions involved in that situation that comes with discovering that their child has been sexually abused. So I welcome you, Lisa Gray. Well, thank you so much, Carol. I'm so glad to be a part of this. Thank you. There were some words that changed your life forever, and they are, Mom, if I had something to tell you, would you be a mom or would you be my friend? Those words are forever etched into your mind. Please tell us why. That was the day I'll never forget. 
That was the day that I was washing dishes and my daughter came in and said those words to me. And the minute she said that, my heart just stopped because I knew there was something heavy on her heart. And that was the night that it took me about four hours, but my daughter, Nicole, I call her Nikki, nickname is Nikki. I, I took her into a room and we, it took about four hours for me to finally, I almost felt like I was pulling, I had to pull it out of her because she, as much as she may have wanted to tell, she probably mm-hmm. had not to tell at the same time. Mm-hmm. But I had made up my mind that, that that night, whatever was on her mind was coming out. And in the end, I found out that her stepfather for the past seven years had been molesting her. And I had absolutely no idea. I was devastated. devastated. It was horrendous to find out that her safe place was not a safe place for her. It was horrible. And how did you respond? Well, first of all, I think I was like a deer with uh, headlights on. I was just in shock. It was, it was more than what I could understand, believe. And yet there was never any question that what she was saying was true. So I immediately said to my daughter, it's going to be okay. I believe you. It's going to be okay. There was never any blame on her. I never tried to shame her. But I immediately started really trying to decide what to do. What's the proper um, avenue to take? How do I remedy this? What do we need to do? What, what does it mean to have someone who's out there molesting a little girl? I was just devastated. So I took counsel with some family. I took counsel with some friends. Um, I took counsel with my pastor. And the majority of the people that I talked with, Carol, was very concerned about my daughter. And they were concerned that if I took it to the authorities, she would have to testify in an open court and that that would re-traumatize her and that would be too much for her. I probably did not want to do that. But in the end, I prayed on that and I didn't know any other way. I, I, I knew he had to be held accountable. And I knew that Nikki would, although it would be difficult for her, that she still had to do that and that he had to be held accountable. Justice had to be served. And it had to be known in the community. Wow. This was a molester out there so that other people could be protected. And what emotions at that point were you going through? Were you angry mostly or what was what were you going through? Every emotion on, on, on the rainbow. I was angry, I was betrayed, I was hurt, I was I was just I was in shock. Um, there was never any denial. I was I was I was so hurt that my daughter Never had that safe place while she was growing yes, up. Yes, yes. Man, when she was in the third grade, so we're talking about a seven-year-old girl oh. that was being molested on a regular basis, and I just, it, it just, it was more than I could handle. I was, I was in a bad place. How did you deal with it with your husband? Well, um, what happened? This was her stepfather, and because. I had recognized some things in him that I saw was not good. I had divorced him. And the divorce became final in September. She came to me in November. Oh. So once he was no longer in the home, I felt safe. 
Right. He finally told her friend. And she still had no intentions to ever tell me, but her, her friend made her tell me. And that's what happened. Now, is it normal that the child will protect the mother, possibly tell somebody else? Would you no, know, Dick, did she tell anybody at school? What happened there? You know, it's funny when you say what's normal because every situation is is different. Okay, okay. And what we're finding out, Carol, is that the majority of children do not tell. Ever? We have statistics, the majority of children never tell. Never? Never. Wow. And since I've written this book and I've went around talking with people, some people are telling me for the first time. And they're in their 60s, 70s, and even Oh, my 80s. goodness. Unbelievable. So we only have statistics that we think, but we really don't know the extent that it happens because there's so much shame and guilt. Yes. So for me as a mother, I felt my job was to protect my daughter, and yet I was not able to do that. So I felt shame. I felt the guilt of that. Um, my daughter, she felt shame. She felt guilt. So it just keeps going over and over again. And it's, isn't it interesting that the people that were um, not not the not the molester, but the abused, the yes, yes, but the other people are feeling the shame and the yes. guilt. It's backwards. It's upside down in, in this world, and we have to turn that around the other way. Did he threaten her at all? Is that part of why she didn't say anything? Like, is that normal or did he threaten her? Now, in this case, he did not threaten her. But I've talked to many people that, but the threat is always implied because we're talking about authority and power. Yes. When we're talking about someone who has authority, who has control, who has power over a younger person, there's always the implication. And and not to mention the fact that the child is just in a, such a state of confusion yes. that this person who is is supposed to love them, supposed to care for them, right. has taken the, taken their world and turned it upside down. You said that you didn't have a clue what was going on. In, hind, in hindsight now, mm-hmm. is, have you been able to come up with any clues that you should have been aware of that possibly might help somebody else? Absolutely. And that's one of the reasons that I have to speak out. Because of the thing, the signs that I was not aware of, that I was not looking for, and that were evident, but I didn't realize that, that they were signs. I want other people to know. And one of the ones in particular was the amount of attention that he gave to my daughter. She was special, quote unquote, special. Was so she your was, own? Was she your only child? She was my only daughter. There, okay. She had brothers on the, either side, an older brother and a younger brother. Okay. So she was, quote unquote, special. So he did extra things for her and other things for her. So that special relationship is a definite sign. Or for some children, just the fact that there some children will isolate. Some okay. children will, um, they'll have more knowledge sexually than what they should know. Some children act out in other ways. Believe it or not, you know, some children are just rebellious because of that. They're, wow. they're cut. Some of our children are cutting. Some of our children are being defiant. Some of our children are aggressive. And all these reasons are not because they're having any other problem than the fact that someone is molesting them. And we haven't gotten to the root of the problem. Amazing. What about her brothers? Did they, did they have any clue? No. The brothers... 
um, the extended family. We would have family gatherings. We did not know. But what we know now is not Nikki was not his first victim. And as a matter of fact, we went to court. He's in prison for 15 to 40 years. He was also molesting his adopted sister. Oh, my goodness. And we really don't know the, the extent because his mother was a foster parent. So we really don't know the extent of the number of people that he molested. But we do know that uh, right now he's in prison and his son is in prison for the same thing, for child sexual abuse. Why 15 to 40? Is that uh, based he had on both convictions or? He had nine counts. So oh, my word. Four of the counts were first degree, I think four were second degree, and I think one was um, uh, I forgot what the last one was. But the the 15 to 40 is because in Michigan, first degree was any type of penetration with anything. Now, when we're talking about child sexual abuse, we're not always talking. Sometimes we're talking about touching. Sometimes we're talking about exposing a child to pornography, which he did, part of the grooming process. Really? So that, that was another count. Um, so it depends on each state. And of course, now that you're in so many different countries, each country may have different rules. Uh Where I live in Michigan is if there's any type of penetration of anything for a child under the age of 13, and he began abusing my daughter when she was seven to eight years old, that the most he could get is 15, a minimum and a maximum of 40 years. I see. Did he ever try to make any kind of restitution or apology? No. No. Uh, his story is that I put my daughter up to all Oh, that it. you put up. Okay. Yeah. So he's denying it then. He's denying it. And the other thing that we have to look at as a society are what we call enablers, those who are around that know something's going on, but they turn a blind eye because they're concerned about themselves. They're concerned about their reputation. They're concerned about everything but the victim, about but these children. They let these molesters go that they know are molesting children, but they're more concerned about themselves. So too many people knew something, but they did not speak up. They did not say anything. We've got to change that in the society. Someone's going to have to start speaking up on the behalf of our children. Do you think, too, that that can be... Like this is totally looking at it from the other side, but do you think that kids, because this has become such an awareness now, can actually use that and say that someone is abusing them to get whatever tension they may be looking for? Like, have you run into that? We know that about there's about one percent that's been uh, reported false. Okay, based on the number that have never been reported, that's pretty upside down statistic. No kidding. Yeah. <laughs> That's but, you know, there are those out there, like you said, even the 1%, which is sad because it, it could it could deter someone else from saying something, thinking that, you know, they wouldn't be taken seriously. The majority of the time, uh, children are, are put in a situation where they don't believe that they're going to be believed. And then there's quite a few, Carol, that I've talked to that said they, they told, but no one believed them and no right. one did anything to protect them. So Aww. then they really do re-victimized. Yes, yes. How is your daughter now? Like, how has she coped with all this? What is, what have you seen? I am absolutely amazed, actually. She's doing extremely well. She's been able to move on. She's been able to forgive. 
she's been able to put this in the proper context. She is not forgetting. I don't think anyone needs to forget any part of right. their they simply need to put it in the proper context, say this is something that happened. This 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 fire. Yes. But now that's not who I am. That's what happened to me. Uh, she's no longer feeling the guilt of that. She's no longer feeling the shame. She's holding her head up high. She's in nursing school. She's becoming a registered nurse. And she's moving on. She's she getting married next year. And she's doing well. She goes with me a lot of times when she's available. Excellent. Yes, she's doing well. So you obviously decided to write your story. What triggered that? When I went through this myself, and I, I did go, I'm a, I'm a uh, educator. So one of the things that I did was looking, I wanted to find a book. But there was nothing that spoke to a mother's heart. I know a lot of victims are writing now, and I could pick up a book from a victim's perspective. Right, but that's right. not where I was. Right. I needed to know how to handle this from a mother's perspective how to handle my daughter, how to handle my other children, how to handle what was going on. What about the court system? Um, For me, uh, I was very active in our church community. I just really wanted to get a mother's perspective. How do I handle the suffocating guilt that I was dealing with myself? Yes. Of knowing that my daughter was not in a safe place and I didn't protect her. So when it was all said and done, after the healing process, after my daughter had received counseling, after I received counseling, we did some together. Uh-huh. And after we talked about it, I, and I told her, I said, Nikki, I really feel like I'm supposed to write about it. And she said, yes, mom, go right ahead. Good. That's where this came from. And what I'm finding, the number of mothers who have talked, who have said that it touched them right that place that they still were. And they and they still needed to relieve some of that pain that they were still carrying in their hearts. Yes, yes. And story has been able to help them to do that. And so your book, is it written in a story format or is it written in a self-help? Tell us about your book. Okay, the book itself is written about different things that transpired while we were going through the process and where I was and how I cried out to the Lord for help with each aspect of the process. Because I wanted the healing. I wanted my daughter to be healed. And I, I knew there's so many tragedies out there still for people that are still suffering, how they self-medicate and they become drug addicts or they become prostitutes. Or yes. they, they start cutting themselves. Or they no longer understand their own value and their worth. And I did not want uh, Nicole to be a tragedy. I didn't want her to be a statistic and a tragedy. So one of the things that this book helped us to do one of the things that I did was just write how the Lord walked us through this process, how we, how we dealt with family members, how there were people that didn't support us and we expected support. Uh And so we, there was some, there was still hurt there, but we still had to move on and we were able to move on with a lot of prayer, with a lot of support. We had a lot of support in the community. Even when we were, were in the courtroom, there are a lot of people that came to court that said, some people came and told my daughter, he abused me too. Wow. And I remember Nikki saying to me, mom, if they had said something, because this was an adult woman, yes. it would happen to me. And I told her, yes, you're right, but you've stopped it. You've spoken right. up. <laughs> right. You have the courage to speak up and say, this is what happened to me. 
And not only did this happen to me, but it wasn't right. Yes. And I, I, I'm, and I, just like that woman that went to the judge, the unrighteous judge, and cried out for justice, we had to go and we had to cry for justice. Someone had to be held accountable for what yes. took place. And yes. that's exactly what we were able to do. And so many people, so many people were rooting for us until it was unbelievable. So we had much support. That's wonderful. People to know that they can raise their hand and say, this is what happened to me. And it wasn't right. And it wasn't recognized. Now, and people need to be validated. They needed to, they need to, their dignity restored to them. And that's what we want to do with this book. And what's happened with the book? Has there been people who have come forward? We've had, we've had a great response. We've had counselors. We've had ministers. We've had teachers. We've had victims. I've had some victims write me and say, I never realized what my mother was going through. We've had family members. I had uh, one man say, I needed this. I needed this because I was going through my own thing when I found out that my sister was molested. Wow. So it's been, it has been something that's helped people. Like I said, sometimes even though you dealt with something to a degree, there's still more. There's still more healing. So the book has helped to heal hearts. And that's exactly what we wanted to do. And who do you recommend should buy it besides moms that are hurting? What's another group that would be teachers or is there any other group that you are appealing to? Right now, moms, moms, um, dad, any family member and any victim, anyone who has been molested, anyone who's had a hurt. Now, I have to say this as a licensed professional counselor, anyone who's had any, any type of trauma, it doesn't matter what the trauma has been. If you've been traumatized in any way, if you've had any type of hurt, you still have to go through a process. And this book takes you through a process to help you to deal with each part of that. And uh, I've had a number of counselors tell me that they use my book for people who have been traumatized, no matter what the trauma was. Oh, that's good to know. Okay. All right. They've been able to use it universally because... Trauma is trauma in the end. When you've been traumatized, That's you start right. to do that process. So I, I'm happy to I'm happy to report that it's been very helpful. And I also, believe it or not, had uh, one counselor contact me. She ordered quite a few of the books because she was going to use it. For, she counsels sexual offenders, and she really? wanted yeah she wanted to use it for her offenders. So they know what they put these people through. There you go. Yes. What an excellent eye-opening. So now we're, we're really into uh, educating the public so that they know that there's a lot of abuse that's happening that's not going reported. We want to do some of the seminars. Now we're testifying um, across the nation. People are calling us to be an expert um, witness on behalf mm-hmm. of the so mm-hmm. we're doing that. We started a nonprofit. Uh, Every Step Counts Ministries, just so that we can help validate people, validate their values. We want to restore their dignity. Um, Really, so many people who have been abused are walking around numb. So our job is to kind of revive them so that they can get that zest for life again, so they can love and and live with a passion once again. Yes, I would think that that would be difficult. Like when you mentioned that your daughter is getting married, I know that many, many girls can't they don't want a relationship so she must have really healed 
to be able to, you know, have a loving relationship with a man. That's remarkable. And I'm sure that you are very, very proud of her for that. I, I am so proud of her. And I'm so proud that she's interested in helping others. You know, one, one other place that we really want to work on are those people who work in gentlemen clubs. You know, the majority of those people have been molested. They don't, wow. they don't, they don't decide that I, I, I want to grow up to, to become a sex worker. They no longer feel their own value, their own dignity. So there, we have some work to do. And, and that we're, Every Step Counts Ministries is going to do everything that we can to touch people exactly where they are. We want to restore their dignity. And when you speak to jails, you mentioned in your bio that you uh, will speak at, at jails. What? Tell us about that. You know, that is so interesting. I've been speaking at jails for the last, Nine years now. It's so interesting whenever I go into jail. I absolutely love going in there, into the jails and speaking with the women. I find over and over again that women are hurting. Majority of them are broken. The majority of them are uh, looking for some hope. They are, many people are hopeless and, and they're looking for something that will help, that they can grab onto and hold onto and often. Uh, when you go in there and you share your story of hurt and brokenness and you're transparent to let them know that I have not always done everything right. We've all made mistakes, but we can start over again that uh, our Lord and Savior will continue to to listen to us and we can still cry out to him and we can still get up again over and over again that there is always hope. And, 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 you know, even. When the, the sun shines all over again, every day we can try it again. That's what that's what we want people to know. Right. Get up again, try again, push one more time. So when you said you spoke to jails, that's what I was wondering. Are you speaking to, I thought possibly you were speaking to abusers, but what you're speaking to is women who have been uh, committed crimes per se. Sure. And it doesn't really matter how, but they're broken. They're all right. Okay. The, okay. Yes. Okay. And what about the seminars? You you conduct seminars? Yeah, we're just getting started with that with the nonprofit. We're we're beginning our seminars, and one of the things that we're doing with that is just education. We're doing education on the different facets of uh, molestation, sex trafficking, uh, the way the different ways that people will be groomed, so that we're aware, so we know about, so that we talk to our children. Uh, I didn't have those conversations with my daughter. I quote unquote assumed she knew, oh. but she didn't know. So we anything, any mistake that I made, I want to make sure to let other people yes. know they don't make that same mistake. I don't want another child to walk around uh, hurt and, and abused. And we want people to know that this is the other thing that happens over and over again with molesters. Molesters don't violate every child. You know, they pick and choose which which child they think is going to be the most vulnerable. Yes. They case a child just like they do a bank robbery. They don't rob every single bank. They look and see which one do they think is the most vulnerable, and that's the one they target. So we really are out here to educate the public that we don't no longer want to go around saying what goes on in this house stays in this house, all those family secrets. We're finding that many people are being abused generation after generation yes. after generation. And someone's going to have to speak up to stop it. And that's what we're doing. We're letting people know that this is not normal. We're letting people know that they don't have to, to live in it. 
We're letting people know that you can still forgive someone. And this is one of the things that people get confused with. There's nothing in the Bible that even talks about forgive and forget. Our job is to hold people accountable so that they see that what they've done is wrong and that they repent and they turn around. But if you keep saying, if all you do is say, oh, you shouldn't think about that. Just because you don't think about something doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. We want people to resolve the hurt so that they're no longer walking around um, hurting themselves. They're no longer walking around taking a drink. They're no longer walking around uh, using cocaine and crack and all the different things that people do. They're stuffing themselves and some people are cutting themselves and some people are stuffing themselves. They're doing all these things because they're hurting on the inside. And we want to get to the root. We want to get to what the root of the problem is and let people know it's okay to say, hey, you you, you did that to me and it wasn't right. And it's not okay for everybody around to say, well, you can't talk about it. You're going to bring shame on the family mm. of that person. Now, do you present this to school children at all? Like, is there any kind of program where, you know, someone like yourself, your organization or counselors will come in and talk to the groups of small children at large, you know, that and share if this is going on? Like, is there any kind of program set up to do that? Many of the school districts have some type of program. How effective they are is another topic. But most most school districts have some type of program because we know that most kids are molested between the ages of seven and thirteen. Really? Although, yeah, mo- the majority. We're talking about fifty percent, which means we're talking about twenty percent of kids are molested before the age of seven. My word. Yeah. It must be really disheartening for you. I mean, every time you hear another story, you know, and to have to constantly be made aware of this. And then on the other hand, you balance it with being able to help them. And so that must be the, you know, the, that's what brings you the joy. That, that makes all the difference in the world. And we're going to continue to let people know that, yes, we know that it's out there. But, you know, it's not too much. It's, it's, some people look at it like it's an elephant and say, oh. They throw their hands up and say, well, there's nothing that I can do. Mm. Well, you know, I'm going to look at that and say, you know what? I can handle that tail. And that part right there, I'm going to hone in on. <laughs> and I'm going to keep going. And I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. It may be a huge problem, but if everybody takes a bite of that apple, we'll, we can handle this. And I'm determined that we're going to talk about it. So many people want, want us just to be quiet. Well, there she goes again. She's talking about it again. Yes. Mm. Someone has to talk about it, and I'm going to continue to talk about it until the day I die. Well, it's because there's no shame, and this is a part that you're trying to get across. There you go. There is no shame. There's nothing to be ashamed or afraid of, but I'm sure that that's, you know, the way they feel, and it makes it more difficult. So good for you. Thank you. Thank you. I was going to get that across. (laughs) (laughs) Now, my next question, which actually you basically just answered, and that was, what is the call to action that you have for the listening audience? What would you like them to do? I like for them to connect with me, and I'm I'm hoping that uh, you'll be able to get them the information so they can connect with me, whether Facebook or on Twitter. Um, If they'd like to get the book on Amazon or on my website, they can certainly do that. I think it's so important for people to know that they are not out there isolated by themselves and they're the only ones that are feeling that way because they're not. 
there are there's a there's an army of people around the world that want to do something and we're going to have to connect and the internet and the type those types of tools we can use to connect to be a positive force in this world and that's my call to action let's connect let's those who are like-minded wants to do something want to help someone who's next door or who's yes, down the street yes, yes. know that there's resources out there and available and let's help one another that is an excellent outlook and I appreciate that. You are you definitely have passion about this subject and for obvious reasons. But it's good to see that you have taken that passion, you're channeling it properly instead of just saying, "Okay, my daughter's okay now" and forgetting it. And you've taken that passion of helping her and extended it to helping as many as you can. So I applaud you for that and I thank you because you if you can help one other person, one mom or one daughter, you have accomplished what may not have happened without this. So that is very much appreciated. Well, thank you, Lisa, for sharing your story today, for giving us a challenge, for being made aware of what we should look for and I hope that many people will pick up the book not just for themselves but even to give to someone who they think might have or they know that has struggled with this area and helping them through all the aspects all the negative aspects of what goes on in a situation like this so thank you again Lisa it has been awesome having you on never ever give up hope thank you Carol for this opportunity I really thank you and I thank your listeners Okay. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.